You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Reddit has been hacked. The U.S. DOJ collars three Ukrainians alleged to be card stealers. Facebook kicks 31 inauthentic accounts from its platform. They seem to have been engaged in influence operations, possibly Russian. Attribution remains difficult. NSO Group's Pegasus spyware has been found in Amnesty International phones. SamSam ransomware exacts a high cost. Yale realizes it was breached about 10 years ago. And Google allegedly prepares a sensor engine for Chinese web searchers. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, August 1st, 2018. We've got a couple of breaking stories as we publish today. First, Reddit has announced that between June 14th and 18th of this year, an attacker compromised a few employee accounts and gained access to backup data, source code, and logs. Specifically, they downloaded an archived backup of all Reddit data from 2017 and before, including account credentials, email addresses, and public and private messages. Also grabbed were email digests sent by Reddit in June 2018, as well as Reddit source code and other internal files. Reddit is working with law enforcement and is reaching out to users who may have been affected. The other breaking news story today comes from the U.S. Department of Justice, who announced the arrest and indictment of three Ukrainian nationals who are alleged to be members of the notorious cybercrime group FIN7. The DOJ claims FIN7 are responsible for attacks on over 100 U.S. organizations, stealing more than 15 million credit card records from companies like Chipotle, Chili's, Arby's, Red Robin, and Jason's Deli. The Seattle Cyber Task Force of the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Western District of Washington led the investigation and coordinated with law enforcement agencies in Poland, Germany, and Spain. Facebook has ejected 32 questionable accounts from its platform for engaging in what Facebook characterized as inauthentic behavior. There's some evidence that the accounts are connected with the Internet Research Agency, the St. Petersburg troll farm implicated in earlier influence operations. There's a degree of ambiguity in the evidence, but one interesting note is that one of the pages taken down appeared briefly but clearly to be under the control of the Internet Research Agency. This round of influence would seem to be aimed at inflaming the alt-left against the alt-right, which makes perfect sense if the goal is disruption and chaos. 
the inauthentic pages were up and operating between March 2017 and this past May, during which period they accumulated some 290,000 followers. A representative recent message aimed at getting people to confront and resist fascism with the effort organized under the slogan, No Unite the Right to D.C., the reference is to a planned fringe alt-right event under Organization for Washington. Facebook is reticent about connecting the campaign to Russia or any other nation-state, and they do note correctly that while it looks like the old familiar St. Petersburg troll farm, it could certainly be the work of copycats. Facebook's CSO John Stamos put it this way in a lengthy post on the company's blog yesterday, quote, after we named the IRA, we expected the organization to evolve. The set of actors we see now might be the IRA with improved capabilities, or it could be a separate group. This is one of the fundamental limitations of attribution. Offensive organizations improve their techniques once they've been uncovered, and it is wishful thinking to believe that we will always be able to identify persistent actors with high confidence." End quote. Facebook has notified followers and recipients of the inauthentic messaging that they've been hoodwinked. The Atlantic Council is analyzing the incident and expects to issue a longer report soon. Amnesty International says that at least one of its people had their phone infected with NSO Group's Pegasus spyware tool. Pegasus has been used by a number of governments to monitor dissent. The University of Toronto's Citizen Lab has confirmed the infection. The targets in this case appear to be Saudi dissidents. NSO Group has long been in bad odor with privacy advocates, NGOs, and people who don't want their phones surveilled. The Israeli company was involved in M&A talks last month, but its prospective partners grew skittish and withdrew. Sophos Labs reported that ransomware payments to the controllers of SamSam Ransomware have now amounted to $6 million. SamSam has acquired the reputation of being difficult to uproot and recover from. It's the same ransomware responsible for causing so much trouble in the city of Atlanta, which is still slogging through its recovery from the infestation it sustained on March 22nd. Of course, having a plan to respond to a ransomware attack and practicing that plan can make all the difference in the world. We spoke with Thomas Hoffman, vice president of intelligence at Flashpoint, who shared his perspective on how companies could respond to ransomware and extortion. I would really divide that into two different types of responses we've seen. Uh, we've seen responses from organizations uh, who have heavily invested uh, in their defenses and, and cybersecurity, and they have robust programs to educate their employees. They have uh, response plans uh, that they've tested and, and have prepared. Uh, so when incidents do occur, uh, you see a much more methodical approach and response. While it still is uh, an emergency situation and every situation is unique, uh, we see that the, the companies who have heavily invested and prepared are better able to coordinate their responses. On the other extreme, I think, is where, uh, unfortunately, many organizations who do not have the budgets or do not have the resources dedicated to invest in their security and invest in their employee training. Uh, when they encounter these situations, it's a little bit more chaotic and developing response plans on the fly uh, that can sometimes from the outside seem uncoordinated uh, or ill-prepared. And that's something that 
I don't think is unique to ransomware per se, but more for cybersecurity incidents in general. Those are typically the two types of, of responses that we see from organizations. Now, we see uh, the common advice from both law enforcement and security folks is don't pay the ransom, that we don't want to put money into this criminal economy. From a practical point of view, is that the way it always plays out? Are, are there occasions where uh, the most practical thing to do is to roll the dice and pay the ransom and see if you get your data back? Yeah, this is really where our uh, new response and readiness program uh, comes in. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, the U.S. government, uh, FBI in particular, uh, what they say is they don't recommend organizations uh, pay ransoms. But they also acknowledge that there are situations where there are systems that are so critical that any downtime is just not something that can be tolerated. And when organizations are con- confronted with this type of situations, the calculus uh, really changes with how you respond and, and whether uh, you want to attempt to obtain the unlock keys uh, through a ransom payment. Uh, we've seen organizations on, on both sides. We've we've worked with some organizations that as we've uh, worked through a response uh, where ultimately they decided that paying is not the, the right way to go and uh, just going through normal recovery efforts and rebuilding systems is their preferred path. And then other organizations, the ransom demands, uh, it's something that they have pursued in an attempt to acquire information or the unlock codes or to prevent information from being exposed. So it really is organizationally dependent uh, what systems are compromised or encrypted and really the uh, individual company, uh, how critical it is to uh, recovering the systems in in, uh, the most expedient manner possible. So this is really what makes uh, each one of these responses very unique uh, because there are so many different factors that go into how you want to respond and the ultimate decision to pay a ransom. And this is something that uh, we here at Flashpoint have helped uh, many customers work through those, those really tough decisions. Now, do you ever run across uh, people who have found themselves victims of ransomware who thought they were prepared? Or are there any common mistakes that folks make where they think they're better off than they are? Ironically, uh, some of the organizations that do have robust programs and do have teams that are, are prepared, uh, sometimes uh, during their responses, uh, they attempt to engage some of these actors. And if that's not something the organization has that experience or that expertise in how you actually uh, engage in some of these illicit communities and the proper ways, the unwritten code of conduct, if you will, uh, that sometimes these organizations inadvertently reveal too much about the situation and and tip the hands of of the true impact that the organization is experiencing to those threat actors. Hmm. Uh, And it can complicate a response if it's not well planned out. That's Thomas Hoffman from Flashpoint. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security this week announced a new program to share information on cyber risks between government and the private sector. U.S. Cyber Command is also interested in deepening its partnership with the private sector, as its commander, General Nakasone, who also directs NSA, noted this week. And everyone is up for cooperation. Eugene Kaspersky has an op-ed in The Guardian in which he observes with some justice that, with respect to cybercrime, we're all in this together. 
Yale University has realized that it was subjected to a data breach in 2008 and 2009. They don't know who did it, and they think it's now impossible to find the perps. But the university is advising victims to protect their identity. Documents leaked from Google indicate that the company is working on a version of its search engine that will be tailored to meet the censorship requirements of the Chinese government by blocking problematic searches and sources. Among the sources likely to be blocked are the BBC and Wikipedia. Much ironic commentary is circulating online about what it might mean to not be evil. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to welcome to the show Craig Williams. He's the director of Talos Outreach at Cisco. Uh, Craig, welcome to the show. Excited to have you on board here. Uh, As we always do when we welcome a new partner, uh, we want to learn more about you and the type of work that you and your Talos team are up to. So uh, what can you share with us? Well, thanks for having me on. Um, You know, a lot of people are aware that Talos exists now, I think, but I don't know that everybody is aware of exactly what we do because Talos is probably one of the largest security research organizations in the world. I think right now we're right around 300 researchers. And at the end of the day, our overall mission is to protect our customers. Hmm. So in order to do that, obviously, we have a lot of specialized teams. We have a lot of uh, you know, different projects going on. But my team, the Talos outreach team, we look for things that the bad guys are doing that's new. right? So we look for bad guys that have found a new way to bypass security devices or a clever way to monetize some malicious act. And we try to figure out how that works. We make sure that you know we have detection covered. Everything's out the door. We work with the detection teams in Talos. Uh, and then we look on, you know, well, what can we tell our users about this? You know, how can we inform the public? And so we'll do things like this podcast. We'll do things like conference talks, customer briefings. Uh, and so it's a lot of fun. And it's a really good way, to, I think, to help educate people and let people realize what these new threats are. 
And so what's the relationship between the Talos team and uh, the broader Cisco in general? It's a really good question. So Talos as a whole basically pushes all the blocking content out to all the Cisco security devices. So we work with teams like Umbrella uh, and other security teams at Cisco, and we help make sure that not only do we have coverage in place across all the products, but we have a cohesive system to do that, right? And so literally right now at Talos, I can take a single tool and I can type in a malicious website and within about two to five minutes, it's going to push that out to all the different Cisco security devices and protect our users. Now, are you given a certain amount of, of independence? <laughs> yeah, you know, I often joke that we're almost like a startup uh, inside of Cisco because we really are given a lot of freedom and latitude to find new and innovative ways to research these threats and to figure out, you know, how they work and make sure that we have the best detection in place that's possible. Now, what about you personally? What, what was your journey to, uh, to the position that you're in today? Oh, man. That, <laughs> well, it all started back in high school when I was cheating at a video game. No, but seriously, you know, I, people think I'm joking when I tell that story. I mean, I got into computer security through trying to cheat at games like SimCity, you know, games that I thought were fun, but I sure didn't have enough time to play them fairly. And I certainly wanted the nice, fancy building. But long story short, you know, I ended up doing the traditional route through university. Uh, I was actually a contractor for Cisco. I was a contractor that started the IPS signature team for the old NetRanger IPS product. Slowly but surely worked my way up in the ranks, and now, almost 15 years later, I'm the director of one of the top research teams in the country. Well, welcome. We're glad to have you join us. Uh, Craig Williams, director of Talos Outreach at Cisco, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Vaughn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, 
The best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust Plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 